Welcome to Award Winners. I'm your co-host, John, joined by my Bucky, David. This is our night at the Oscars, where we watch Oscar-winning movies and enjoy Oscar Mayer Wieners. It's a celebration of American culinary and cinematic pop culture. In this episode, we discuss the other Marvel movies, Ghost Rider and Blade. Dave, what is going on? I think you missed a really good opportunity to call me your Donnell Logue. He's in both of these movies. <laughs> he is. <laughs> Accidentally, we did not know that before we started. Or maybe we did and forgot it, you know. I had not watched Ghost Rider in quite some time. So I totally forgot anything about that movie, really. Yeah, the smoothest movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> Goes down pre-chewed. What is going on? A ton of stuff is happening. So we have been on hiatus for the last couple of months, mostly through a series of life things getting in the way. I'm going to run through these because it's a lot. I went on vacation, and while on vacation, my mother became ill, and then I was sort of trapped in Cincinnati for a month, and then I got back from Cincinnati, ended up getting COVID, and I was sick for three weeks. Uh, And after that, John, (laughs) I had to get ready to leave New York City and move to Columbus, Ohio. So just a bunch of stuff was happening all at once, and I could not prioritize it. So on top of that, your mother got sick again while you were moving, so you had to go back home. You had COVID while you were moving. Uh, What else? Yeah, just everything. It was a lot of stuff all at once. Well, let's shift this from, you know, sad why we haven't been around to uh, we're back, (laughs) y'all. John, have you seen any movies recently you want to talk about? I kind of only go to the movie theater to see the Marvel movies because I don't want them to be spoiled for me. And I got to say, I was pretty pissed at the things that came out of uh, Multiverse of Madness. I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but there were several moments where they shared things either in trailers or people saying things on the internet that I wished I had not heard at all. Did you see that movie already, Dave? I, think I did, did see that. I did not watch the trailers before going to see it. And I was very excited when I finally saw it. It was fun. I also blocked and muted all the keywords on my Twitter accounts. So like I went in completely blind. Yeah, and I, I think I'm going to keep doing that for like the next ones that come out. I don't want to know. It just ruins things, I think. Being a person who's read a lot of the comics, when they even hint at these things, I'm like, oh, I see where they're going already. You having not watched the trailers and hopefully not seeing any of those spoilers, when you got some of the character reveals, were you surprised yeah, I lost my mind. I, I was just like, what? <laughs> I was very happy about it. Did you end up liking Multiverse of Madness and Thor? I thought Thor was okay. My expectations were way too high because, again, that's like one of my favorite comic runs. And I really liked that villain. There were things I really liked about the movie. And then there was a lot of disappointment. I feel like I just need to watch it again and try to distance myself from any parallels to the comic. Did you see the Thor movie? No, I have not. I, and I don't know if I'm going to actually see that in the theater. And they also, they hit pretty soon on Disney+. Plus. Like, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's like, I can wait two more weeks. I kind of feel the same way. And I think we're just getting into, there's a bit of Marvel overload. Talking about Marvel overload, John, they just announced all the movies coming 2023 and 20, or 24 and 2025. And it's it's too much. Like, I, I was looking at it, I was like, I don't want to watch all this. Like, this is like five things in a year. They're not all movies, right? They're not, but it's still a lot of content. I kind of don't mind because it carries you over. You spend an hour a week watching one of the shows. It's the slow drip that feeds your addiction. Okay, so Dave, what about you? Like, what have you seen? I saw Top Gun Maverick. And let me tell you, it's going to be a Best Picture nominee. I am looking forward to that being available as a rental, and I will definitely watch it. I know you don't, you're not going to go, but for everyone else, see it on the biggest screen possible. There's some really, really cool action. What I love about this is that it feels like movies are back. Yeah, <laughs> So I, I, I really enjoyed it. It's not a perfect movie, but it's good. It's just really, really good. <laughs> Watching it, I was just like, damn, I love Tom Cruise movies. I love them. I know that he's a weirdo, but he makes good action movies. <laughs> that's really, I mean, I've seen some other things, but that's really the main one I want to talk about. I'm really excited for it. If it's not nominated for a Best Picture, I'm going to be shocked. The stunts themselves, like how they produced everything, put it together is really amazing. Do you want to dive into today's episode? There's a Marvel game coming out called Midnight Suns. So we're like, okay, maybe we could make that sort of the theme of the episode. It also was a comic series in the 90s, and it sucks hard because comics in the early 90s sucked hard. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's very true. But the characters in it are uh, Morbius, Blade, Ghost Rider, Johnny Blaze, and then a few other characters which actually made an appearance in Blade Trinity. 
Hannibal, and then a character called Drake. And they basically formed the Midnight Suns. And I guess Doctor Strange is sort of in there too. We watched a couple of movies that were tied to that, Blade and Ghost Rider. I actually just finished watching Morbius like a half hour ago just for fun. We can talk about that movie too, Dave, if you want. I haven't seen it. I'm, I'm saving it for a, a bad movie night. I'll, I'll Morbin then. <laughs> I got to say, just a quick spoiler on, on Morbius. Not as bad as I anticipated. I uh, can't say I loved it. On the Venom scale, where is it? It's better than Venom. The original, the first Venom? It's on par with that, really. Okay, that's what I expected. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen. The amount of trash talked about it made it seem like it would be. We also talked about, we wanted to do forgotten superhero things. And then we ended up here, right? After like watching it and reading it, I was like, you know what? Blade's not really forgotten. <laughs> what do we toss around? Howard the Duck, Man-Thing. The 1978 Doctor Strange. The TV one. I think we landed in an okay place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing you said, you were like, well, we should just do the trilogy. And I was like, I, I just don't have enough time. And then I watched Blade and then I immediately watched the next two movies. So we should have just done the trilogy. <laughs> Let's dive into the Blade discussion of this. Quick recap of the 1998 Blade movie with Wesley Snipes. So Dave, before we do that, when did you first see this movie? Did you go see it in the theater? I wasn't old enough to see this in the theater because it was R-rated. This used to be my favorite movie as a teenager. Someone gave it to me on DVD, and it was one of the only like three DVDs I owned. So I just watched it over and over and over. And I do remember the, the first time I watched it, I was like, how have I never seen this movie before? <laughs> we both watched this movie a lot in our late teens and 20s. So that's how we got into this one. So the movie opens on a vampire attacking a pregnant woman, which causes her to go into labor. She dies, but the doctors are able to save her unborn child. That child grows up to be Blade, who has many of the powers of vampires, but also some of their weaknesses. He can walk in the sun. Blade, the day walk. But he still craves blood. He is found by another vampire hunter who becomes his mentor. This person's name is Whistler. My name's Abraham Whistler. Played by Chris Christopherson. Years later. You're so big. A large, unnamed city, which in my opinion is New York. People disagree with me. People being Dave. No, I agree with you. I'm just saying that it's, not, it's just a wild-looking city. <laughs> it's, it's funny that they don't name that city, but there's other cities, because at the end of the movie, they're like, we're in Moscow. <laughs> like, Why not just tell us we're in New York? Like, in I'm just going to call it New York City. In New York City, a newer vampire from like the latest generation who's been turned, his name's Deacon Frost. He's played by Stephen Dorff. He's been reading these texts about how to unleash this blood god, La Magra, onto the world. He feels like as a vampire, he is superior to the humans and should control them. And that's why he wants to do this. There's a, a vampire high council that actually is trying to keep things in balance with the humans and vampires. And he does not agree with the way that they have done things in the past. Danny Frost, I'm talking to you. So Blade then comes across this plot. He kicks, punches, shoots, stabs, stakes, and throws his spinny vampire killing boomerang at things. Uh, as he works his way through Frost's gang. Along the way, he meets Dr. Karen Jensen. She's a hematologist who discovers an anticoagulant that causes vampires to explode. Frost's gang then capture and kill Whistler, which is, again, Blade's mentor. At the climax of the movie, Blade learns that Frost was the one who turned his mother into a vampire. Frost! Ultimately resulting in him getting his powers. Blade kills his now-vampire mother, Frost does actually manage to turn into the Blood God, and then Blade explodes the Blood God with Karen's anticoagulant. At the end of the movie, Karen offers a cure for the vampirism to Blade, but he turns it down because he wants to keep his powers and keep killing suckheads. All right, Dave, what else do we need to add to that ultimately confusing plot summary? Uh, <laughs> nothing. I mean, you, you nailed it. After listening to you read it, I was like, this is a confusing plot for a superhero movie. <laughs> okay. There's vampires. There's a vampire hunter. Basically, he's trying to stop them from taking over the world. The simplicity of it and the beauty of the movie, in my opinion, is that it's not that complicated of a plot. Like, there's some minor nuance to it here and there. But it's pretty straightforward. And I feel like that's why the movie works so well. And it feels somewhat grounded in reality. Or the reality of the world. Like, there's no, like, weird moments where you're like, what the hell? <laughs> Except the blood god. <laughs> I love the blood god. Before we actually get into the discussion, let me let me real quickly here talk about the critical reception. Blade holds a 57% on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of 78. 
Roderick Ebert gave it three out of five stars, saying the movie was more visually interesting than other films of the time. However, he made this really weird comment, and he said, Spawn is better than Blade. No. I was like, what are you What are you smoking, Roger? <laughs> in a negative review, The Hollywood Reporter called it obsessively gory and unpleasant and opined that movie studios should put a stake through the heart of the vampire genre. Long and short of this is, is that audience loved it. Critics were mixed. But it did well in the box office. So the budget was $45 million and it made three times its money back, so 131 what do you think about Ebert's statement about Spawn? Spawn is a terrible movie. It's terrible. It's I mean, like it's it's incoherent. It's garbage. The special effects suck. John Leguizamo, who I love in certain ways, mostly when he's just doing his stand up, picks the worst movies to be in. If John Leguizamo was in the movie, nine times out of ten, you shouldn't see that movie. Even if he's a starring role in the movie, yeah, because he's in. Guess what? He's in John the Wick. past. <laughs> the past. <laughs> I hate the past. It's terrible. He even jokes about it in some of his stand-up. Like he chooses like the worst movies to be in. He's like offered Philadelphia, and he chooses Tu Wong Fu. Philadelphia wins Oscars for everyone in it. <laughs> you know, like he's made some interesting choices. I didn't. I didn't expect to be talking about uh, Jean Luc but I really like his his stand-up. I don't know why people were feeling Spawn at the time. But what about you, Dave? Like, what's your thought on this comment here? So Blade, I love Blade. When I first saw it, I had never seen anything that was this mix of martial arts. Really funny, like, one-liners. Some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate up hill. And a character just being a badass. And what I like most about this movie is, honestly, Wesley Snipes. Like, he drips charisma. When someone says that a character is synonymous with an actor, this is what they mean. Wesley Snipes is Blade. Blade is Wesley Snipes. I don't think this movie could have ever been made unless he did it. I don't know who else could have been the actor for this at the time. Like, they, you'd have probably tried to get, like, what? Lawrence Fishburne, right? Like, uh, not, I don't I think that don't would work. He, I mean, he did okay with Morpheus, right? So there's, like, a little bit of something going on there. Who else? Denzel? No. I don't think he would have done it. He's more theatrical-based. Yes, he feels Shakespearean to me. Yeah. But Wesley Snipes is like, he's a trained martial artist, one, right? So he knows what he's doing, and he's really funny. And to be honest, his range is way longer than people give him credit for. He can do comedy. Like, I think people forget that he was in major league movies. He's just a really good actor in a lot of ways. No other actor could have made this movie successful, in my opinion. Even reading about how the movie came together, the director relied a lot on Wesley and and Wesley's team of stunt coordinators to like do the action scenes it all turned out pretty well if it was someone else i'm not sure they could have done that he's irreplaceable in this movie we were living the marvel age right now and so right marvel movie every every two and a half months these actors have been training with stuntmen for 10 years at this point when this movie came out like the american audience was not prepared for this right (laughs) wesley Snipes could actually do this yeah, this is actually him doing it, and then it's awesome. I think it's what everyone actually wanted in, in a superhero movie. We got an R rating. We got action. It was like what Batman didn't do well. The Batman movie at the time were just like kind of corny. This kind of hit like a, a lot of sweet spots for me, I think. Before we move on, also, I think Steven Dorff as the villain is also irreplaceable in the movie. Like somehow he is the perfect antithesis of Blade in the movie, too. Gritty, dark, whiny. Visually, like you have... Wesley Snipes is like a big dude, and Steven Dorff is this small guy, <laughs> and they both have very menacing energies. It works really, really well. I was going to say, the director offered Jet Lee the role of Deacon Frost. That would have completely changed this movie, <laughs> and, and for a negative, I think. I, I would agree. I don't know. Steven Dorff just worked, as you said, like the menacing energy the weird sexuality that he plays with off of some of like the other characters gently couldn't have done any of that. And what's interesting about this, like I was thinking about this morning cause I rewatched it this morning. Again, I could watch this movie once a week. I, I really love it. What I noticed about it this time through both Steven Dorff's character and Wesley Snipes character, they have a character arc, right? You're not just following blade as he goes from point A to point B, like murdering people. You also see frost overcoming challenges on his way to get to a goal which makes it more interesting at the end because they both overcome things. They actually don't cross paths a lot in the movie either. There is this anticipation that's growing that there's going to be a final fight, and obviously there is. I think that adds to it a lot. 
I also just think they did a really good job with the world building. So they've got the familiars. They've created a whole world around that. And like, you know how to see vampire glyphs and like all these little things that help add reality to the world. Like, I I think those are all really cool. Going through some of the tick points that we had here. So action, how do you feel that holds up? The action's still good. It feels a little, little rough, but still really awesome. Like it, it fits the character. The action is still good because I think a lot of it was practical effects and wires. This is still pretty early in the days of CGI. So there's not a lot of scenes where they've replaced the characters with the digital copies of themselves, which I think actually makes the movie better. I do remember seeing Blade 2 because they had fully digital characters. And I was like, I don't like the way it looks because uh, there's no weight to them. It's that uncanny valley of you're like, it's not quite real. Yeah. Special effects for this movie then. How do you feel they held up? Uh, they're not great. <laughs> I don't think they were great at the time, you know? <laughs> I read an interview with Steve Norton, the director, and he was like, everyone knows the special effects weren't that great, but we just had a limited budget, so this is what we got. <laughs> the, the biggest special effects that you see, I think CGI-wise anyways, are the vampires crumbling when they get stabbed. They turn to ash. It was probably okay, even for the time. Probably even good for the time. Yeah, it was good for the time. Not perfect, but I think it still works. Here's a crazy story about this. So they turn the, the vampires turn to ash. And according to the director, one of the producers, Vampires Turning in the Dust has so been done a million times. Let's come up with a new way to do it. And this person's idea was they would turn into different things depending on their level within the vampire society. If you're a, like, I don't know, a councilman, you would turn into a pile of diamonds. Or if you're a, uh, a grunt, you would turn into a bunch of shit. <laughs> I read this, John. And I was like, this I, is I terrible. It's so bad. <laughs> It's like Mario jumping on something and it turning to a coin. You know, I'm just like, what the fuck? I'm glad that did not happen. Like, someone should fire that executive. We obviously both read the same interview with Steve Norton. Man, there was some wild stuff that the studio wanted. Ultimately, like, the big thing that he I took from the interview was that he got to keep the blood rave, right? Like, that was, like, the one thing that he knew would make this movie awesome. But then he kind of compromised on everything else. That's, like, probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah, it's you know it is my it is one hundred percent my favorite scene in the movie. It's it's amazing. It sets the tone for the entire film and ultimately the rest of the franchise. But from an executive standpoint, right? So you're a producer and you're you're like we can get more money with a PG thirteen movie. <laughs> so like we, let's cut this. Ultimately, I think they made the right choice going R. I would really don't want to see a PG thirteen Blade movie. I, mean, I guess we're going to see one with the new Herschel Holly one. I guess we don't know that yet for sure. It's true, but it's. Vampires should be rated R. I'm just going to be honest. Oh, they do a good job of like setting the scene at the beginning of the movie. They've got some guy driving his car to a vampire rave and there's so, like a vampire with him and he probably doesn't know she's a vampire yet. That's actually Tracy Lords, who's like a well-known porn star. Yeah, I knew that at the time. <laughs> kind of like that little touch too. I thought that was kind of cool. She's like a sexually aggressive vampire who's like grabbing this guy being like, yeah, let's go. His name is Heat Seeking Dennis because I think he makes some mention to his penis about being heat seeking <laughs> or something. Put it on the resume. It was kind of a fun scene. And then it like sets everything else up. So you walk into this vampire world. Then this like blood starts coming from the sprinkler system. Like they're in a meat packing facility. The vampires just start like feeding on the things in the room. And then Blade shows up in his like arsenal of weapons that he uses to fight them. I'm like, it's such a good, simple introduction. I learned that <laughs> never bring meat hooks to a shotgun fight. <laughs> I laugh about that because a character tries to like meat hook Blade. He's like, I say it's a shotgun. Two, for a guy named Blade, he uses a lot of guns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, and then something that I, I, I still think is badass, but I kind of think is also kind of funny if you think about it from a vampire's perspective. They're literally playing with their food, right? And they're just like, <laughs> like I'm hungry. Let's. Have it rain on us. It's like us going someplace and I don't know, getting like a, a hamburger shower. I don't know. <laughs> That's just the tone for the vampires too. Like they don't Very give hedonistic. a shit. Like, yeah. Yeah. That they're like, they're going to get something out of this person. Like maybe they'll have sex with him and then they'll freaking kill him. That's kind of the world that they set up. And I, and I like it. It just makes it really dark and you, and you don't have a lot of sympathy for the vampires. This one scene is when Blade smiles when he throws his knife orang. Um, <laughs> what do we call that thing? Yeah, I don't know what you call it, the knife. Let's, let's let's Google that. <laughs> but it shows so much about the character. Like he is having a good time killing these other vampires. Oh, it's a glaive. They call that a glaive, Dave. That's a glaive, not a glaive. Well, Get that's that. what Get it's the called. Fuck out of here. Okay, it's a knife orang. 
Okay. I think we've talked a lot about that. I think overall, like the story and direction, like, do you feel like that is still viable and like worked pretty well? I mean, there's obviously a couple like weird things happening. The whole thing with his mother kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere. (laughs) The scene reads really weird because she's like a sexy vampire and holds him in a way that I would not say is motherly necessarily. It's like, is Blake going to sleep with his mom? Like, what are they trying to do right here? Like, what are they trying to show us? Like, I didn't get that. Yeah, I didn't uh, get it. How did you read that scene? Felt like she was trying to seduce him. It was a very odd scene. And her inclusion is really odd. I don't think you need her in it to like heighten his story. Because he could have just been revealed like, oh, I killed your mother. And then, you know, same difference, right? Like, <laughs> you, don't, you don't need that whole death scene. So, John, I wanted to ask you about the vampire mythology. Did you enjoy this type of mythology? At the time, this was like not a, a novel way of approaching. I think it's interesting in the sense of you've got a new generation of vampires. They don't want to do things the old way. They're hedonists. The way I think it was the director described them as Gucci insurrectionists. <laughs> it's like, it's perfect. It's perfect. They're club kids in New York City. And I guess the best way to describe that is like probably people with too much money and too much idle time doing drugs to pass the time fucking with everyone because they can and they're kind of untouchable because they have too much money and power. They're kind of the scum of the city in many ways. They're not good people. They don't give a fuck about anything else. I feel like they also just want to tear things down because it's not done in the way they would like it. Like they're spoiled children, really. To see that, I wonder like the director or if he had experiences with that scene and those people and was just like, I'm going to write them in as terrible individuals because <laughs> I, I like the world that it created and it created an interesting background for the movie as well. It influenced the soundtrack of the movie, which I thought was really good. I thought it was like a nice way to differentiate things from the loner vampire romance that we'd kind of seen previously. What's your thought? For me, this is the first time I came across the concept of a pure blood vampire versus a born vampire. And uh, so what that means is like someone's either bit and turns into a vampire or two vampires have a kid. (laughs) How does that happen? Do vampires have kids together? Like that seems sort of untalked about. I don't think it happens in like the traditional, I'm putting this in air quote, traditional vampire lore. But in this world, it definitely happens. You die and come back and heal. And then you essentially have like a a disease, right? Uh, Maybe it's a mystical disease. It's just kind of unclear. But this is the first time I came across this idea of like a pure bud versus a born vampire. And I was like, oh, a born vampire sounds pretty cool. That's a, that's a really interesting concept. Then do they grow? They grow slowly. Yeah. Are vampires immortal? It does seem like they age a little bit. That part of the movie like maybe isn't as clear as it could be. It does have like an interesting story for Frost, right? Like you said, he's a hedonist. He wants to rule everything. So he has to take out these pure blood vampires in order to, you know, ascend on the council and take over. What do we think Frost was before he became a vampire? He looks like he was a junkie. <laughs> yeah. I, well, like, is he like an accountant somewhere? And now he's like, fuck the world. I'm taking him down. Or he's like, he, he's definitely like a Wall Street bro or something like that. That's kind of how he feels to me. He does give me a big, big uh, Martin Scarelli vibe. You're right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Fuck that guy, by the way. Like, yeah. Every time I hear his name, I gotta, we got to say it. Fuck that guy. Uh, this is a tangent. I went down a vampire rabbit hole reading about different types of vampirism. And what I have come up with is like, basically, you can just do whatever you want and make up whatever you want. I know a lot of like modern vampire mythology comes from Bram Stoker's Dracula, but like not all of it. Vampires have been around for a long, long time. He didn't create them. So when you see a movie and they're always like, here's the rules for my vampire thing. It's like, oh, now it makes sense, right? Because there's no like 100% like what, how, what a vampire is. True blood is its own weird thing too. Right across one was like, you could become a vampire if a dog or cat jumps over your grave. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that, that I learned is that Bram Stoker and another author, because there was a novella that came out called Camilla, basically made vampires sexy. <laughs> like, like the European vampire before this was not sexy. It was like a, a dark-skinned, undead creature with a bloated belly uh, and just filled with blood. And then they're like, we're going to make them sexy. <laughs> Do you find the vampires in this movie sexy? Wow, that's a really great question, John. I guess the the one who dresses in all white, like there's something fun about her. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like I'm I'm a little scared about her, you know, it's like, well, you could probably kill me, but you're pretty attractive too. (laughs) 
Actually, I like that about that character too. Like everyone's wearing black. She's the one wearing white and she still feels pretty dark and gothic at the same time. That actress is a model. Actually, it's a model who became an actress, I guess. Because I don't think there's, she's done anything else. Heroin chic is how I would describe that look. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the fashion of this movie. It's very 90s and it's before Matrix came out. So I'm like, did this influence the Matrix at all? Maybe. I guess it depends on like what they were drawing from. Because I think the Matrix had some similarities to these like subcultures that were into leather. But I think it was for very different reasons. But maybe not, actually, now that we think about it. Like the leather and latex crowd is definitely where the Matrix was drawing its influences from. And I, I'm not sure this is that exactly. It sort of is in a certain hedonistic way. But is it more of like club scene I think it's more a club scene. They're just drawing from influence, similar influences, right? I mean, I'm sure that the Blade had some influence over Matrix. The way movies work, right? That that movie was already in production by the time. It was the next year that movie came out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Maybe Matrix sort of steals Blade's thunder. Blade was huge when it came out, but I feel like Matrix gets a lot of like love for like bringing in this cyberpunk look. There's there's a lot of that in Blade, right? Like the vampires have like super cyberpunk stuff, like the white room that's that Frost lives in. Like they're high tech as shit. I understand what you're saying, like with the technology that they have. I, there's there's definitely some feeling of that in certain aspects there. So, you got some other questions for this, Dave? Do you feel this movie? launch the modern superhero genre that's such a loaded question that is such a loaded question it's interesting so i i thought you might ask this question i've been pondering it for the last couple of days a lot of people would probably say yes but it's not like superhero movies disappeared and what i mean by that is like there's been like one or two superhero movies coming out every year but did this launch the like superhero wave i think it established marvel what i'm trying to get at though is like I really don't think this like launched superheroes into like the stratosphere, right? Like this doesn't feel like it. They're popular. They're still coming out. This just happens to be a really, really good one. I think it was a tipping point to show studio executives that there was an interest in these characters and you could make a movie on it and make money. So I I feel like it helped get other things launched. The way Iron Man was sold was probably based on, you know, like look at these other movies that we've done, Blade. Blade 2, Blade 3, you know, like they've done well. Let's try another character, see how it goes. I think this kind of got the ball rolling because there are also still some misses. More of like Fantastic Four of just. Oh, like yeah. Oh, that was Fox. Yeah. 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 Oh, those were not good. <laughs> now we have a Marvel movie every few months. So I'm thinking about the Iron Man pitch meeting. Iron Man to see this character. Who would going to go see this? And they go, Blade was a Z list character. And everyone went and got, went and saw that. <laughs> <laughs> you just do like, it right. You're right. Absolutely. It's rubber stamp, Robbie Downer Jr. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, that's true. Like, like, we didn't talk about that, but this character was nothing. I knew this character because he showed up like once or twice on the Spider-Man animated TV show, and that was it. I knew nothing else about this character, and I consider myself someone who read comic books as a kid. Say, I still probably really have not read any Blade comics. Like, I tried to for this, but that corner of the Marvel Universe is really not my thing. Yeah, I get that. I also want to talk about director Steve Norrington. Do you know anything about this guy? Not really. I did listen to the director's commentary, or I guess it was like staff commentary on the movie and, and heard some of the things he had to say. But other than that, like, I really don't know anything about him. He seems like a dude who's really difficult to work with. He's made maybe five movies. He has a super long list of projects he was working on, including Ghost Rider, that, that just never materialized. Sounds like he had such a difficult time with this movie that he just didn't want to do Blade Two. He turned it down. And then he made League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and had such a hard time that he quit directing for years. And he also caused Sean Connery to quit acting. <laughs> so like what I'm getting at is like, he seems like a dude who doesn't want to compromise his artistic vision. So in other words, he's a control freak. <laughs> to some degree, he did a very good job with Blade. And had he not exercised that level of control, we would have got a movie by committee that would have sucked with vampires turning into diamonds and other stupid ideas from some executive. That's so stupid. To his credit, he fought a large mechanized beast, which is like the film industry, and won because he made the movie the way he wanted it to be. He may be hard to work with, but you know he got it done, and we do like this movie. Yeah, this movie had like it had a troubled production or a lot of thoughts being put into it. But I mean, that's every movie. I do know that the first screening was disastrous. 
<laughs> people were like, this movie sucks. <laughs> and they had to go reshoot the ending. Apparently the ending was just like, it's on the DVD, but it's like a blood blob. Like, <laughs> Yeah, so they didn't quite have the CGI for La Magra to work. They wanted it to be like a mass of like flowing blood liquid, which I actually think would have looked like Lawnmower Man bullshit. <laughs> it would have looked terrible. Not doing that was actually a way better direction. So I'm, in that aspect, I'm glad he did not get what he wanted there. And from what I understand, this the this movie is a there was a lot of footage, and it feels like a movie that was really built in the editing bay, right? He just like filmed everything and then put it all together, and then just chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. I think there's one scene that does not fit the movie to me, and I, I just I'll touch on it briefly. So there's a scene where Blade gets in his car and starts driving around the city, and they speed up the time, which in certain ways makes sense, but it doesn't fit because they don't do that anywhere else in the movie. So it's like a weird effect. I was listening to what the director was trying to do. They're like, well, you know, we have the street chasing. We wanted to do it a little bit differently and like speed up the progress of it uh, where Blade's kind of following this other vampire. Uh, And it like kind of goes into this weird, almost cartoony vibe. It just stands out so much against the other film that I'm like, they shouldn't have done that. Like it just, it does not fit the vibe of the movie. Yeah, I, Um, I agree. It's really weird. We've staked this one through. So I don't think we have a lot else to say here. Uh, Dave, I see there's some questions from the internet. You want to go through these? Yeah, these are questions from the internet. These are our followers who want us to touch on these things. So one, which Blade movie is better? One or two? Or Trinity? (laughs) Still, number one holds up best. I watched number two. I remember really liking that in the theater. The plot is so razor thin. (laughs) The action scenes, I'm actually kind of like, fuck, this is such a long action sequence. Can we speed this up to get to the plot? Which I did not feel when I first saw it in the theater. Uh, but now as a more mature adult, I would say like, oh my God, speed this up. Yeah, yeah, I get that. So a number one remains the best of the trilogy, in my opinion. What about you? I think number one is the better of the three movies. I do love two, though. This is very close. And the reason I love two is because Wesley Snipes is looser in this than the second one. He's funnier. He just has so much more charisma. (laughs) Uh, But I still think as a whole movie, number one, better. And then Trinity, like that movie's a mess. Two has like such a big cast. Looking back at it, I was like, holy crap. It's like Donnie Yen, who's like a major martial artist, is in the movie. doesn't say a word. It's got Norman Reedus in it. It's got like all these major players people who have like had pretty big careers since then it's kind of crazy that they got that cast together like that was an all-star cast all-star director too Guillermo del Toro yeah yeah would you watch a fourth blade movie with Wesley Snipes I'm assuming I think one was in production but then Wesley Snipes had like some serious tax evasion issues I think he either went to jail or had like massive fines and that I think stopped blade from filming I'm unsure uh, of that, but I would watch. I would watch a fourth Blade, like a Blade revival. Hell yeah, dude! I would have loved a fourth Blade movie. I think it's probably too late at this point, but I would yeah, have it is that. too late. And then we'd have you'd have to do like a Logan, a Logan movie, <laughs> Dull Blade. <laughs> <laughs> he's lost his night. His, his blade. yeah, he's lost his edge. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's good. What's the best Wesley Snipe movie? Uh, Demolition Man. Is it Demolition? I think it's Blade. I mean, Blade's pretty good, but Demolition Man is still one of my favorites. So, yeah, <laughs> okay. I I think those, I, one of those is right. Like, I do. I don't think it's like Pastor Fifty Seven or something. <laughs> we used to be mentioned this, but a producer wanted to cut a rave scene. How dumb was that on a scale from one to ten? Twelve. Yeah. Twelve. Eleven. Turn it up to eleven. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like such an iconic scene. It gets mocked in other places, even. But yeah, that would have been dumb. All right, here's one. Uh, how does the movie compare to the comics? Like, you read the 90s you were talking about. You've got some you know, other character types that are more grounded in reality that are, like, facing challenges. I just don't feel that way about Blade, Ghost Rider, Morbius. It's just, like, they're not grounded in anything I give a shit about. Like, they're not cleverly disguised social commentary. That's just not existent in Ghost Rider's world. <laughs> what do you have to say about that? I read Blade's first appearances because i wanted to get like an idea of like hey like where's this character come from it's a completely different character oh (laughs) it's like the blade character hat when it first introduced in um tomb of dracula had on like green pants and a leather shirt and yellow goggles and didn't even have a sword had uh wooden knives (laughs) 
Teak blades, yeah. I Teak do blade, yeah. Uh, he's still yeah. pretty badass. Don't get me wrong. Just like it was like this is Blade, like this is a totally different character. But it did shine light onto why Blade wears sunglasses permanently, even at night, <laughs> because uh, the character, comic book character, had glasses. That's really. <laughs> the Marvel movies have had a lot of influence in the comic book world. If it did well in the movies, it became the more accepted mythology, and that morphed. Or changed how the comics did things as well. When this movie came out, I think it changed Blade comics, probably for the better. But I, I definitely see like more of the blade in leather looking more like the Snipes blade. Here's one that I, I didn't I didn't know how to answer. It's just Blade the series question mark. Um, I know uh, it so exists. This, <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I've seen an episode or two on TV 10, 15, 20 years ago, whenever that was. I... Don't remember much of it, but I remember thinking the actor was really bad. <laughs> I couldn't say more than that. Someone, whoever asked that question, if you've seen it, let us know if it's worth watching. <laughs> I am willing to risk some time and watch some of it if you say it's worth it. Oh my God. Good for you. I'm not I'm not doing it. I got too much going on. <laughs> okay. Uh, would this movie work as a PG-13 rating? It could. I mean, the one-liners wouldn't be as fun. <laughs> It's true. I don't think I don't really don't think so. Like I want to I want a R-rated vampire movie. The R is good for this movie. Finally, last question from the internet: Best vampire kill? I mean, it's got to be the glaive around the room, around the circular <laughs> that's, room. That's right? a really good one. Yeah. I mean, I do also love when he kills Quinn and grabs his sunglasses. Doesn't he kill someone? I don't know if it, if it's this movie. He has like a silver garrote, you know, just like a like a silver. The string, like a silver string, he just like cuts someone's head right off with it. He like pulls it out of his jacket and and like someone's running by. I don't know. It may not that's this one. Movie. That's what he kills Gwyn like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah like, that's that's, that's probably cool. my favorite. It's just fun. I don't know. We don't have to get more into that. Yeah. It, it, there's a lot of really good ones, but that, those are good. And then finally, uh, I have one production note because I feel like we have to be remiss to not talk about this. The infamous line, some motherfuckers always trying to ice skate uphill. Yeah. Was it? was an offhand comment by Snipes <laughs> in an early story meeting. And so David S. Goyer wrote it into the script. <laughs> I love it because it's, it's so like good. a terrible line, but it's so memorable. I think it's uh, great. It, yeah, it's perfect. I, I did also laugh really hard when we, we didn't talk about uh, Whistler at all at this, but he when he hands Blade the flashlight, the UV flashlight, and Blade complains. Like, it's still heavy. And Whistler <laughs> He's like, goes, but you're so strong. But you're so big. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so good. <laughs> I love this movie, John. I'm not joking when I say I could watch it all the time. Re I feel like I rediscovered this film again because I haven't seen it in a couple of years. And I was like, oh, I do really love this movie. I just burned myself out on it. There is a 4K Blu-ray Ultra HD version that came out not too long ago. And they did a really good job with the sound and the picture. So I think you can get it for about 15 bucks. If you love this movie and want a high quality version, this is the way to go. Okay, so before we jump into Ghost Rider, so John, did Blade win the box office the week it was released? You're you're saying this is a little trivia for me. Yeah. Um I have no idea. I'm gonna say yes. It did. Hell yeah. It beat out Saving Private Ryan. Really? Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay. man. Okay. okay. I, so, I love Saving Private Ryan too, just to be clear. That's a it's a pretty good movie. Very different movie. <laughs> very different. There's no vampires in it. <laughs> uh what was the highest grossing movie in nineteen ninety eight? And and John, before you answer, I'm gonna gonna tell you this is a little tricky. So you have two shots at it. So you said saving private Ryan. That would be one of my guesses. I I don't even know what else came would, out. In would you like to phone a friend? Sure, Dave. Tell me what. Tell me what this movie came out that in came it. out in 1998 starred Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck. Armageddon. Armageddon. Okay. Okay. Here's why it's tricky. Technically, Titanic was the top grossing move of 1998, but it came out in December 1997. Yeah. Only okay. looking at 1998, it's Armageddon. Well, my heart will go on, Dave. <laughs> All right, it's time to switch things up and go to the man with the flaming head. Old Bonehead. Oh, Bonehead. Well, I think, I guess it's an okay name. <laughs> it's kind of demeaning, right? Like, <laughs> Okay, so this is the synopsis for 2007's Ghost Rider. Teenage motorcycle stuntman Johnny Blaze sells his soul to Mephistopheles. Oh, that'll do just fine. 
This is a Satan analog in exchange for curing his father's lung cancer. Mephistopheles makes good on his promise, but Johnny's father dies the next day in a motorcycle stunt that goes wrong. Years later, Mephistopheles' son, Blackheart, sets out to retrieve the contract of San Viganza, which would give him a thousand corrupt souls, allow him to bring hell on earth. How that happens, they never explain. <laughs> Mephistopheles then turns Johnny into the new Ghost Rider, a bounty hunter of the damned. I feel much better now that I know I'm the devil's bounty hunter. In exchange for defeating Blackheart, Mephistopheles offers to give Johnny his soul back. From here, you know the drill. Johnny reconnects with his high school sweetheart. He meets the previous Ghost Rider, and he defeats Blackheart and his minions, and then at the end of the movie decides to keep the power of the Ghost Rider, but only use it for good. Whew. So that's a movie that happened. So this is the critical reception. Ghost Rider holds a 29% on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of 48%. Critics said it was grand, but empty. Uh, They pointed out that the plot made little sense. I agree. The dialogue was campy. I also agree. And the acting was poor. Uh, Third check mark. (laughs) However, they did note that, you know, Cage was trying in this. In the box office, the movie did make money. So it cost $110 million to make. You know, like, I don't know where that money went. And then the box office was $229 million. So, you know, it doubled its money. And it's like a pretty good return. So, Dave, you can ask, you've got some trivia questions for us here. So did Ghost Rider win the box office the weekend it was released? Uh, sure. Sure. It, it did for two weeks in a row. Two weeks, John. So they like, just not have any other movies that came I, out. There must, not have been, must have been going up against, I don't know, like, like a high school graduation. <laughs> I, I feel like I saw this in the theater, I think. Uh, I definitely did not, uh, 100%. When I saw the trailer for this movie, I was like, this looks like shit. I am not going to go see this. It looked like the pre-chewed tapioca, and it looks so bland. And I'm a big Cage fan, too. John, what was the highest grossing movie in 2007? My guess is going to be Spider-Man 3. It is. Yeah, absolutely. A movie we'll probably never cover on this podcast. <laughs> so, Dave... When did you first see this movie? So you didn't see it in the theater. It sounds like you saw it as like a rental or on. It, it had to have been on like TNT and I was bored. I'm like, I'm going to watch yeah. this movie. I've seen this movie multiple times. I've seen it three times in the last three months because like twice to prep for this. And then I'm part of a bad movie club. We also watched it for that. This movie makes my brain so smooth. Like I, I cannot keep anything about it in my brain. It's, there's just nothing to it. Like I, I literally cannot think of any scene. I'm not exaggerating by that much. I can't remember any memorable parts of this film. It's actually better than I thought it would be. I thought it was going to be really bad and it was okay. Uh, I guess I had extremely low expectations and I wouldn't say to change your expectations of it in any way, but it's got a plot that's more or less coherent. There's some silly moments in there and I don't know what the hell Nick Cage is doing. Like the character choices for a ghost rider, like, motivations his little quirks and things like that are just odd i was like trying to find if any of that's in the comics or anything and the answer is no none of that is in the comics. can you can you dive into that like what are some of his quirks that he does he really likes monkey documentaries like there's like two or three scenes where he's watching them and like laughing hysterically at different things like that uh which like just seems really odd and forced he's eating jelly beans because I guess drinking gives him nightmares, which makes sense given the character that he is. He likes to read these books all the time and like quote philosophers. So I'm like, are they trying to make him like a road weary philosopher as well? So he, so this is like odd dichotomy of a dude who's like laughing at bad cartoons in monkey movies, but also is like reading Faust, which sort of makes sense for the character of like, having his soul stolen from him and like traveling through levels of hell and things like that. But at the same time, it's like none of this like comes together in a way that makes sense. That that's why I think the character choices were really weird. You know, how did you feel about how some of that came together? It's just a rough, rough character. So this is a PG 13 movie and Johnny blaze comes off as like kind of like immature, (laughs) not threatening at all, uh, not imposing at all. It feels like this movie was made and marketed towards 19-year-olds. 12-year-olds. Like monsters. 12 monster energy drinks. Even the idea of a stuntman, even in 2008, was like, what are you doing? Right? Like, like this should have been a period piece from in the 70s. Like, 100%. Just a period piece from the 70s, and then you could have a stuntman. 
it it doesn't go together. Really doesn't. It's interesting to see like all the characters are equally as one dimension slash lame, like not thought through. His love interest in the movie is Roxanne Simpson. That's played by Eva Mendez. Like, how would you describe her personality? I I would say flirty. Flirty is the only word that comes to mind. And there's nothing else beyond that. And that is it. That's like the depth of her character. There's one weird scene where she's at a restaurant waiting for Johnny Blaze to show up. She pulls the magic eight ball out of her purse and shakes it and then looks at it, I guess, like trying to see if she thinks Johnny Blaze will show up or not. What the hell is that? Like, that's a weird character scene, too. But there's a lot of weird scenes like that. A lot of weird ones. It just does like it doesn't work. One of my favorite things of the movie is when Johnny Blaze is riding his motorcycle and it turns into like his ghost rider motorcycle, you know, that's got the flaming wheels and he like drives down a street. He like destroys the street. There's like a, a giant like rut that he has like melted the pavement in for miles. And like the crews are out there cleaning that up. I'm like, you know what? We did not see that enough in early superhero <laughs> movies. Yeah. That would be super annoying to have someone ride through town, just destroying the street. Yeah. The whole Eva Mendez thing. She also like drinks a bottle of wine and she's like, tell me I'm pretty. And then the, and then the waiter just goes, meh. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? This is my other favorite part of the movie is the, the first 20 minutes are with a younger actor who, who becomes Nick Cage later. <laughs> but the younger actor is like 15 times more attractive than <laughs> Nick Cage. And then they like morph this actor into Nick Cage later. Uh, that was like one of my favorite moments too of like, that's going to be Nick Cage. Oh my God. What are your thoughts on, on that? Like I noticed it too. I noticed it too. I was like, this is like, you you have Nick Cage in a movie, right? Why do you not have him in the opening scene? That's the purpose of having him in a movie. Instead you do a 15 minute, um, backstory, backstory that you could easily cut that and just have it reveal it later in the movie. Like you don't, you don't need to have it then. That's where like some of the early superhero movies make some mistakes is like, I always feel like they have to do the origin at the beginning. Like every Batman movie has like Batman's parents being shot and you know, him like falling in a cave of bats did that again here. And it may have been a little unnecessary. You're right. They probably could have sped a lot of that up and, and done that in a few minutes and not had a more attractive person (laughs) outshine Nick Cage. (laughs) (laughs) Special effects in this movie are sort of, Fine. A big they're deal-ish. Okay. Like, how do you think they're okay? Uh, I, I think some of them don't hold up very well, like, looking back at it. But some of the motorcycle scenes when he's, like, driving up the side of a building, it's kind of fun. I actually thought the special effects for the four demons that he fights, some of the demons were kind of interesting. Yeah. Special effects are okay to pretty good for the time period. However, they do this thing with the lighting and the composition where everything is super bright. And that renders Ghost Rider, who's supposed to be this sort of gritty character, kind of laughable. Honestly, I'm like, oh, wow, I can see every pore on this guy's face. It's like it's perfectly light outside, even though it's dark and there's no mood to the movie. And I really dislike that. Like, and that's not just this movie. It's like basically that film style from the mid to mid 2000s. So you thought the lighting was a little strange. I know that's a weird thing to argue about. So was the music choice. The music like this movie is supposed to be like a, a biker like a badass biker with a flaming skull head. And like the music choice was just lame throughout the whole movie. Actually, that was a weird choice for Nick Cage too. Like, I think when he's about to do one of his death defying stunts, he's like listening to some eighties pop ballad in his, in his like ready room. The Carpenters, I think. Okay. So it's just like one of those weird moments of like, that's another strange character quirk that doesn't really make sense for him. I do get why they have these character quirks. They're trying to make a juxtaposition between Johnny Blaze and Ghost Rider because they're different entities, but they don't do a good enough job explaining that. They never say, oh, when the Ghost Rider takes over, I can feel everything he's doing. I can understand everything he's doing. They don't make the separation of the characters. Do you feel the story works in the movie then? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's fine. Like, I don't quite understand how getting the souls is going to allow Mephistopheles or Blackheart to take over the world. I guess you don't really need to know that. It's like the MacGuffin, and they want to get that. Dave, would you recommend this movie to anybody? Not unless you're going to be in a bad movie group and you're going to make fun of it. (laughs) How about you? No, I, I wouldn't tell people to watch it. It was better than I thought it was going to be. Ultimately, it's not a good spend of time. Before we like go to the questions from the internet, I did have a thought. Like, I want to ask you about the Ghost Rider character in general. Like, what is your relationship with that character? 
So I always thought it was a cool looking character, but anytime I've read any of the Ghost Rider comics, I've been pretty let down. Like it just, it doesn't really matter to me. Again, that's what I was saying earlier about some of the more grounded in reality characters is like they have problems. I can relate to that on some level. Ghost Rider's like, I am a demon with a demon stare. I don't really relate to you in any way. Conceptually, it's interesting. The premise of the Ghost Rider is he gets escaped souls from hell and brings them back to hell, which is pretty cool, but that doesn't show up here <laughs> at all. I, I read, again, some of those early 90s comics. Like, there's not a lot of depth to the Ghost Rider. It's like he is like struggling with how to like manage being a human and the Ghost Rider and not allowing the Ghost Rider to take over and murder everything that it sees. It doesn't seem to be that interesting of a struggle to me. I'm very much like you. I think it's a cool concept that doesn't really show up on the screen very well. It's like um, one of the most badass looking characters. I will say a, a dude with a flaming skull on a motorcycle. That's super cool. <laughs> like it's just not that interesting of a character. What what gets me about this film though, John is like they saw blade, right? They're like, we could do this. And then they're like <laughs> PG 13. <laughs> you know what they did? They saw, they saw the other Spider-Man. They're like, Sp- Spider-Man made, you know, a bunch of money in PG 13. We'll do that instead. A movie made by committee is how it feels. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Cool. Questions from the internet. I wish I had a jingle here. Internet. <laughs> is Nicolas Cage a good ghostwriter? And which superhero do you think Nicolas Cage should play? I think he's okay in the role. I think everything did him a disservice. So script, direction. Yeah, a lot of stuff was there. I think he's fine. Nick Cage doing Nick Cage things. I don't find him intimidating. I think he'd probably be a better villain than a hero. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce his character's name. I never do. But Mr. Uh, Mixaplik from DC Comics. He's like the from the whatever dimension and he messes with Superman. <laughs> I think that would be a really good one. Do you think Nick Cage would have been a good Superman? No, absolutely not. No, 100% <laughs> not. No. Because and, and for everyone who knows, like Tim Burton was going to put do a Superman movie, and they wanted Nick Cage to be it, and they went got pre farm production before. And this is like just a general question: Is Cage a good actor? I think he needs the right role. I kind of feel he he plays much of the same character in every role. As far as range goes, probably not. But you know, he's got a lane that he is good in. What's your take on that? I think Nicholas Cage is a really good actor. You have to use him specifically for like certain things. Uh, you have to know why he's why he's there and then utilize it. I also think that Nicolas Cage kind of gets a bad rap in the last like decade because he's been doing four or five movies a year. But that's because he's needs money. <laughs> yeah, like, I feel he, I feel bad for him because I think he got scammed by Brady Madoff, right? And just like I, I think lost most of his money investing poorly. It's not like he did anything wrong. He just chose poorly for who was managing his money. Yeah, and then he went out and made that money back. So, like, hey, that's that's actually pretty cool. Uh, but he does have some real stinkers in there. <laughs> okay, this is going to be hard. Maybe I, I could probably answer this one better than you, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Top three Nicolas Cage movies. My top three Nick favorite Nick Cage movies. I think you're the much bigger Nick Cage fan than I am. Well, I'm going to let you answer it, but I could probably simplify it in a way that will probably get you to an answer. I haven't seen a lot of these movies in a long time, but I remember liking The Rock. Face Off was fun when I was a kid. I don't know how I would react to them today. What was the movie that just came out, like the weight, unbearable weight of... Massive talent. Of massive talent. I thought that was kind of fun. Anyway, Dave, I'm just going to stop rambling because I don't really have a good answer. Tell me what are your top three Nick Cage okay. movies. This is hard. Uh, I've, I've seen... I haven't seen all of Nick Cage's movies, but I've seen, I've seen 75 to 80% of them, right? The three movies that I think you should see... Uh, and I'm going to caveat that this is a hard decision to make, but I think you should see Mandy and that gets into his rage cage. So he freaks out. He's also like angry and yells. Uh, I love that movie to death. Uh, I think you should see um, in or kiss from a vampire. Uh, that is the movie where he thinks he's turning into a vampire. It's just a meme, a machine. It sort of shows where like the funny, goofy, weird cage comes from. Uh, and then finally, I think you should see, do I want to? Do I want to say this? What weatherman? I'm stuck between Moonstruck and Con Air, and so like the difference here is like one of these is like action cage, and one is like good acting cage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I th- I think we could do Moonstruck. Moonstruck. But I remember liking Weatherman and thinking 
it actually was a different type of Nick Cage movie. So I might say that's probably one of my top three Nick Cage movies. Let's do the Holy Trinity. I think that's going to be easier for us because we, we were more familiar with them. Pick the best one out of Face Off, The Rock, Con Air. Uh, you know, I, I probably can't even say because I have not seen those movies in 20 plus years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I've seen them all within the last two years, so I, I, I can talk about it. I'm going to go with Con Air because Con Air, to me, is a full Nicolas Cage vehicle. Now, Face Off, he's unhinged in Face Off. But so is John Travolta. So it's like a 50-50, right? It's like they're both like – it's probably the best movie of the three, honestly, because it's so wild. But it's it's 50-50. And then also with The Rock, Sean Connery has a big role in that, right? <laughs> so Con Air is the most Nicolas Cage of that. This is one I guarantee you can, you can answer this question, John. Ghost Rider or Punisher? Which one do you like best? So we're talking the Punisher movie that came out about the same time? I don't know. It just, it's just a Ghost Rider or Punisher. I think we can take it any way we want. I would say I find the Punisher character to be more interesting than Ghost Rider. Yeah, definitely. If we're talking about the Punisher movie that came out around the same time, I'd probably say that's a better movie too, but I haven't seen that one in a while either. Definitely Punisher Warzone is better. I love that movie. It's so, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. <laughs> uh, that's a forgotten Marvel movie. <laughs> okay. So I agree with you on that. Let's move to the next question. Ghost Rider is so rooted in the 70s. What is a modern version of that character? So there is a modern version of the character. If we want to get into that, there's okay. Robbie Reyes, who's a he's like a Latino American from L.A. who has like a muscle car. He's got like more of, you know, the Day of the Dead skull kind of thing. He was actually on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's a little more interesting of a character, too. The stuntman thing is kind of tried. <laughs> you know, that's definitely a thing of like the 70s, maybe. Have you ever heard any of your friends ever say like, you know what I, I did last weekend? I went to a stuntman show. Not like, one of them. Not I'm one not, of them. It's even a thing. I don't even know if it's a thing. What's your answer? So what would a modern day ghostwriter look like if it was updating the stuntman aesthetic? And I came up with like probably a TV influencer who did like YouTube videos doing stuff. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, it's going to be J- Jake Paul's ghostwriter. <laughs> So the Robbie Rice character, like, I think he's kind of like a track rat, muscle car tuner kind of person. And I think that makes sense for like a modern take on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this one I think is meant to be, was meant to be rhetorical, but uh, why did this movie get a sequel? I do know the answer to this. If you want me to jump in here. Uh, you have a real answer. I do. I do. Tell us the real answer, Dave. Money. So remember, remember, um, of course, of course, uh, Marvel, they were going through a hard time and they sold off the rights, movie rights to their characters. And the way these contracts work, you have to be actively developing like scripts to keep the characters. The studio was like, we got to keep this character. So we just bang out a sequel, (laughs) man. I watched that sequel and it was awful. That's unfortunate because the, that director pair, they did crank. And Crank and Crank High Voltage, I believe, are two of my favorite films. They're just insane. Like, I can see, like, how they are the people who directed that movie, but it doesn't work for the Ghost Raider character, just to be clear. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Why did this get a sequel? Money. That's it. I really don't think there's another answer. It's just like, hey, this made a bunch of money. Let's see if we can do it again. Yeah. Final question from the internet. Are you excited to see Ghost Rider in the MCU? I mean, do we count the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. appearance? I guess. I don't know how all that stuff works. I'm getting a little confused with it. I I would be okay with them bringing that actor as that version of Ghost Rider into canon MCU. I'd be totally cool with that. I don't think he should have a standalone movie. I think he should be part of some superhero group or some side character or something. See, like that being sort of like a fun special effects kind of thing. I can't say I'm super excited about it, given what we've seen so far and my sort of lack of interest in the character generally. Dave, what about you? take it or leave it like i think your idea of having it be part of like a an avengers style like have him have him like team up with like doctor strange and take on uh dormammu or something like that like that might make sense yeah yeah i don't want to sit on character yeah so i want an r-rated ghostwriter but then i'm thinking like the multiverse of madness was like Real close to R, dude. Uh, so, like, they could maybe get away with a PJ-13 with, like, the right director. Well, what made you feel like the Multiverse of Madness was close to an R? I don't want to spoil it, 
but there were definitely some horror, straight horror scenes in it <laughs> and some horror murders. All uh, right. They maybe didn't show as much blood. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting is like, I felt like when you watch Evil Dead, who the director also did, then watch this movie, it's like, we saw these camera tricks already. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's I like such a him movie. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I love it. Okay, cool. So before we wrap this up, I do want to run some, some some quick production facts that I found that I thought were pretty pretty interesting. Nicolas Cage has a Ghost Rider tattoo that they had to cover up for this movie. Does anyone know what that looks like? I did. It's hideous. It does. It looks terrible. It, he did a hor- it was a horrible job. I wow, that can't be real. Is that it's, real? It looks terrible. Yeah, I think it's real. It's terrible. Holy cow! Okay. Oh, also, real quick, Nick Cage is shredded in this movie, right? Like, yeah, he's always been kind of like. He's a tall dude, and he's been in pretty good shape. Yeah, but he's he's more shredded in this than any other. Well, maybe not uh, Con Air. He's pretty yoked in Con Air. <laughs> to say Nick Cage actually has a Ghost Rider tattoo, I'm not convinced that's Ghost Rider looking uh, at it. It's a flaming skull. It's definitely a flaming skull. <laughs> but I couldn't say that's Ghost Rider. Like, I don't know about that. What I think is going on here, John, is that Nicolas Cage is such a big comic book fan that he was like, just jumped on any chance to play a comic book hero. You're just like, I'll take it. You got it. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> um, the actor who plays Blackheart, Wes Bentley, you will know him from our podcast for American Beauty. He plays the, the bag filmer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he sure does. So he's terrible in this film. 100% terrible. Like he, he's, he's foaming it in. You know, it's the movie. It also, is. Well, it's clear. also him. Uh, but he revealed that he went through a decades long substance abuse problem and that he was not sober during this production. So that, that tells you the state of mind he was in and why his performance is so weird. Uh, so I didn't want to like make fun of him. I wanted to call that out a little bit. <laughs> you know, I don't blame anyone for uh, their performance in this movie because the script was garbage. You know, I think everyone did fine given what they were working with. Uh, <laughs> so, so Dave, who, who would you like to play the ghostwriter? If there was like a, an actor you could choose, like who would that be? It's, it's a really hard question. I mean, I, I know recently they were like, oh, let's get Keanu Reeves to do it. I, I really don't think it's right for him. I, I've heard Norman Reedus, like people have said that too. Have you seen Norman Reedus though? Like he's been on The Walking Dead for 11 years. Like has he yep. done anything else since then? Like his range really isn't that, at the moment it doesn't look to be that good. I don't know is the answer. I feel like people like him because he feels like a gritty biker given some of his characters. He was in Blade 2. Don't forget that, Dave. That's true. That's true. I don't know if I have a strong feeling about it. As we discuss the time period for the Ghost Rider character and how it's sort of stuck in the 70s thing, like you, you would definitely need to modernize like the Ghost Rider background and, and make him more interesting. I, I kind of think like the more modern take with the Robbie Ray's character is like way more interesting. Yeah. What, what I think it would be, it'd probably be a character that we don't really know yet. It'd probably be a younger character character it'd probably be like that dude from um reggae john page from the sexy showtime the sexy netflix show <laughs> i, I don't forget. know what that is <laughs> uh, there was like there's a sexy uh netflix show and he's like the king or something okay that guy's in the new D movie oh yes. yeah that, that's what i'm talking about yeah <laughs> yeah I, okay i looked that guy up i know who you're talking about now yeah like i think it would be a character that we actually don't know it's not gonna it's not gonna be like it's just gonna be someone out of nowhere Cage admits that this isn't a great movie. And they were like, well, why? what happened to it? And he said the script that him and David Goyer loved and worked on just didn't happen. And part of that is because the studio wouldn't let it, let it be an R-rated movie. I mean, how, how R-rated do we think it was going to be? Like, is he going to melt someone's face off or something like that? Like, Oh, that'd be amazing. You tell me it'd be great. <laughs> some like flame breath or something. I don't really know. Like it, it came across as hokey and it didn't quite work. That's my feeling on the, yeah. on the movie. And then this is a final note. I don't know if this is an inside joke. So Peter Fonda plays Mephistopheles. And Peter Fonda was an easy writer. Is this an inside joke that like... I didn't even even make that connection, but I like it, right? I like it. It's just very subtle. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's cool. That's like a nice little uh, piece of trivia there. That's all I have. I'm surprised we got this much out of Ghost Rider because it is, again, the smoothest movie. Like you will be dumber watching it. I think what Dave, Dave's saying, like it goes down so smooth that it also comes out real smooth. And you <laughs> it. yeah, it's the pink slime. In one end and out the other. I mean, let's be honest. Like I've seen worse movies, but this just feels like the, 
it's committed the cardinal sin of being bland. Yeah, it's true. I, I would watch a really bad movie over this because then I can make fun of that movie and like talk about how bad it is. But this is so like mediocre that it's like I have nothing to make fun of. <laughs> I guess we should say one one production fact. Did you notice the cameo or the first the first role of an actress that is now well yes. known in this? Rebel Wilson is in Rebel there. Wilson. Yeah, <laughs> actually, Dave, there's there's one other thing that we forgot to touch on here. So, like in my timeline of MCU offshoot movies. Dongle McGonagall. Oh, Dongle <laughs> McGonagall. <laughs> yeah, so that's there's great. an actor that, that's both in the Blade movie and in this movie. Donnell Logue. Donald Logue. Yeah. In my in my head canon here, it's that he gets killed in Ghost Rider. I think by one of the demons. In my mind, somehow he comes back as a vampire <laughs> and is in the Blade movie because he also plays one of the villainous vampire lieutenants of deacon frost in that movie and in my mind uh, i think it's the same character it's all wheels within wheels (laughs) (laughs) cool uh well that is ghost rider uh if this is your favorite movie i'm sorry go ahead and keep liking it uh we don't want to harsh your yum like totally your opinion we you know everyone this is our opinions our opinions are right though so (laughs) Uh, Uh, (laughs) our opinions are definitely right yeah we definitely (laughs) okay cool so we are going to do Argo next uh, in a few months. John, we'll do that when John's back from vacation. Uh, it's a movie I remember nothing about other than Ben Affleck's in it, and I saw it in the theater. I've not seen this movie in a long time either. So Yeah, so what, what I'm saying is, John, that you're going to have to watch just a bunch of Ben Affleck movies so we can talk about Ben Affleck. So definitely that Reindeer Games. I have not seen Reindeer Games in a long time. I've never seen it. Try, go try to find Dogma. How would you do that? Uh, <laughs> it's impossible <laughs> to find um yeah it's not available for streaming for some reason i don't know why there's a lot of just the streaming rights don't exist for it i I listen to like a that doesn't exist but they're complicated i listened to a movie with a director who said that he's just like i wanted to stream it's just super complicated we can't figure it out so if you would like to get a hold of us you can do so at david at awardreaders.com or john at awardreaders.com and that's through email yeah that's our email and you can also follow us at at awardweeners on Instagram, and basically all the other uh, social medias. Um, And again, if you liked our show, please remember to give us a five-star rating wherever or however you listen to us. So we appreciate your time. Come back with some Argo facts, and we'll talk to you later.